0: Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go to Big Ten football podcast brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co host, Jeffrey The Greek. Join on Wednesdays by. This is Dustin Shooty. Dustin, you on Twitter? Nope. Never gets old, man. I am Jeffrey The Greek, and Jeffrey The Greek, thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast feel like we've been picking up some new listeners here and there every time we pick up a new listener. Very much appreciate it. Sure, maybe your team specifically isn't having the game or the year that you want, but by gosh, there's other good football games that are out there. Stick with us. I don't know. That's all I'm trying to
1: say. Is this not, uh, look, I don't know that we'll ever have a season comparable to like that 2007 year, but is this not already like a, an incredibly fun college football season, not just in the big 10, but all across the board. I feel like, I feel like we're halfway through the season. We've already seen some wild stuff and it's only going to get crazier.
0: I have the same feeling as well. Um, again, like I think I, we've even said it on this podcast. I know it's been out on Twitter, but everybody asks for parody. We're getting pretty darn close to parity in yes. college football, and I think it's weirding people out.
1: I think so too. Yeah, uh, like like not to not to go on too much of a tangent, but there's so many good games. Like I think there's five or six top twenty-five games. Like Utah, USC, we got Penn State, Michigan, Tennessee, Alabama, and I don't even know who's gonna win. Like usually, you just go in like Alabama's gonna win by forty points. I don't know. It's yes, it's a mystery, and I love it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think helping out the situation is Ohio State is idle this week, so there's nobody for them to beat up on. But, yeah, how crazy is it that there's nothing on the board that you can look at and say, well, it's a nice, fun little matchup on paper, but when the game kicks off, somebody's going to get murdered. You just don't have that feeling. You don't have that feeling about Alabama. I mean, that's the craziest statement you can say is, I think Alabama could lose to Tennessee – And you don't sound like a crazy Tennessee fan. Like that's the, (laughs) that's the actual take that could happen from a college football person. So I would say that alone enters in. Uh, And then, I mean, we've talked about this before, but like, obviously I'm, you know, I'm an Iowa fan first, a big 10 fan second, but I'm a college football fan and no sport delivers every day. Like college football, simply because of how many games there are on your television screen at any time, even if the first, second, or even third game maybe isn't living up to the billing, there's probably a fourth or fifth game on FS12 or whatever that you can click on and say, holy God, this thing's going down to the wire. So I I think we're in for that type of game on Saturday.
1: I think so too. Uh, I think we're we're in for a lot of really good football this week. I think for the rest of the season, like I just... I don't. It's like a an epiphany I had. I just had to say something because it just it just feels like a wild college football season. I didn't know if I was alone in that or not.
0: No, no, you, I'm with you, man. It's, I've noticed it too. Speaking of uh, good football, this was a stat that was uh, shared on Twitter. It just blew my mind, so I wanted to share it here. This is by uh, Jay Book at J Book Thirty Seven. Um, so this is comparing last year's Belichick winner Jordan Addison to two receivers on the Ohio State team. So after six games last year, Jordan Addison, 34 catches, 586 yards, nine touchdowns. All right. Very good start to the year. Marvin Harrison Jr. After six games, 31 catches, 536 yards, nine touchdowns. Almost the same. Hey, how about another guy? Amika Ibuka, 35 catches, 655 yards, six touchdowns. Oh, by the way, he's got a couple carries and a touchdown on the ground. Long story short, to give you any more of a reason how nuclear Ohio State has gone, their best receiver that everybody considered their best receiver, JSN, has barely played. They have two receivers playing at the level that Jordan Addison was at last year when he won the wide receiver of the year award.
1: And what's crazy to me is remember that that minor 21 to 10 win that Ohio state had over Notre Dame Well, they look like crap offensively, they couldn't do anything. I don't know if Ryan Day's the guy. I think they're fine. I think they're fine. This is what drives me nuts. Like it has to be miserable. It has to be equal parts amazing and miserable to be an Ohio state fan or like anybody of that caliber, because I don't know that you can appreciate it. I feel like winning is more of a sense of relief than anything else. Yeah. The only thing I could could
0: compare to is being married, where you do ninety nine things right, but that one that hundred thing that you do wrong, you just get your ass chewed. I mean that that would be somewhat similar to to be an Ohio State fan.
1: I've got ninety nine problems, but a wife ain't one, Greek. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, anyways. <laughs> Just like Ohio State might have some problems with a receiver eight one. <laughs> I, I hope people
0: are laughing just a third as as much as we are right now because boy boy did we crack ourselves up there <laughs> Diaz. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know if this will this will be the best transition, but one of the notes you had written down is you had you had a little mini rant you wanted to do about rankings.
1: Go for it, buddy. Okay, so I am slightly furious that Illinois at five and one with wins over Wisconsin, with wins over Wyoming, a win over Iowa, is just number twenty-four in the top twenty-five, and yet Kentucky sits here at number twenty-two at four and two. Texas is tied with I don't know if they're tied it with Kentucky. Uh, actually, they got to be. They're at four and two. Man, I am getting sick and tired. <laughs> Look, okay. I'll go to college football games no matter what, right? Like, I've gone to a couple Florida games. I saw Missouri. I saw Kentucky. This SEC hype, now that I get to watch actual SEC games that I'm not covering the Big Ten and kind of see the football, it's the same level, man. We talk about this all the time. Kentucky is not that good. I would take Illinois against Kentucky head-to-head, and I had this conversation. This is why I wanted to bring this up. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain his reasoning and why I was angry about this. So I'll try to keep it brief if I can. He, the the AP voter I spoke to, did not have Illinois in his top 25, and I immediately called him a coward. Um, and he kind of laughed it off. But I said, "How did you have Il- You didn't have Illinois yet. You had James Madison." And he said, "At some point, five and O has to mean something." OK, yeah. fair enough. I, I also then said, OK, so you also had Kentucky in the top 20. Yes, correct. They're at four and two, because I felt like a head to head game between Kentucky and Illinois, Kentucky would win. I can understand that. But there's a problem here in that. At what point does five and one shouldn't that mean something ahead of a five of a four and two? Or right. if you think Illinois and James Madison, like you look at James Madison's schedule, it's absolute trash. I would, I think Illinois would pummel James Madison. I do too. So to me, it's just all this perception. It's perception that they're supposed to be good. It's perception that Illinois – and by the way, this isn't just Illinois. I think Purdue should be ranked. I think they're a top 25 team. I think Minnesota should still be in the top 25. Like it's just getting to a point where – you just throw something to the wall and hope it sticks. And it's very frustrating because there are a lot of really good teams in the Big Ten. You could throw Maryland in the top twenty-five. I think they could beat Kentucky. I think they could beat Texas. You're basically essentially look at who Kentucky just lost to South Carolina. South Carolina is god-awful. Right. I mean, it's yep. I, I just So I'm I'm almost glad that I've never had an AP vote, so I don't have to associate with this nonsense. And and it's just
0: I I Okay. Braden Gull, there, there has been conversations, you know, that have happened on the interwebs and a a tweet that I put out was essentially some of the effect of, Hey folks, Alabama and Georgia are great. They're just not at the level that it's been. I don't think that's blasphemous. And then the next tweet or the next or further down, I can't remember. I listed off the four teams you just listed, Illinois, Purdue, Maryland, and Minnesota. And I said they would compare favorably to LSU, Texas A&M, Kentucky, and I now forget the fourth SEC team. But three of those four teams that I had listed in the SEC were ranked. None of the Big Ten teams at that time were ranked. Um, I really believe it because I have watched the Big Ten ga- teams extensively. But I, out of curiosity, I started to do a foray into the SEC teams and I'm like, I had my expectations low, and they somehow slid under it, especially with LSU. They're just not good. LSU is just right. not good. Texas, uh, Kentucky's got a decent defense, but the offense struggles. You know, and then, like, long story short, like, we're not going to break down everyone, but, like, there's ugly football to be spread around to yes. every one of these conferences, and I think where Big Ten fans get upset, and what Braden says that is that we are, quote-unquote, chasing ghosts that that's there's nothing actually there and i'm kind of like so how do each one are we all how do individual (laughs) ghostbusters all wind up saying this seeing the same ghost i don't have time to talk to every single big 10 fan on the internet you know like like we're all seeing the same thing and to me it's just we all have biases baked into the cake that is us it doesn't make you a bad person but when these AP voters and you know, they are not watching any teams North of the Mason Dixon line, unless there's a wing helmet or a, or O on the helmet, typically, there's no way I can trust them to be somebody that actually gives the, the rankings an actual plausible effort.
1: Exactly. And, and here, I'm going to give two more examples and then I'll shut up and we can move on with the pod because I know that we talked about rankings a lot and all that, but um one thing, okay, so I was, I was at the Florida Missouri game. Um, Missouri is not a good football team, but I think their defense is good. Okay, not great. I think it's good. They, they played pretty well against Georgia, they played well against Florida. Um, I think that they probably get a little bit more credit for being, for having a good run defense and, and for doing some things on that side. They'll get credit because they're in the SEC. I don't, I think I would compare their defense to maybe Rutgers. But because it's Rutgers and they haven't been good for so long, it almost doesn't matter what they're doing this year. The improvement they made under Greg Schiano, it's Rutgers. So a win for Kentucky over Missouri looks better than a win for, uh, let's say, Penn State over Rutgers. When basically I see the same football team. Yes. They have. They might have different strengths and weaknesses, but I think that as a game that's going to be twenty to seventeen if you played it one way or the other. The other thing that I'm interested to see and I know what's going to happen. But let me just throw this out there, okay? We have two top 10 games. We have Alabama and Tennessee, and we have Michigan and uh, Penn State. If Alabama and Tennessee is a one-possession game, are either one of those teams falling out of the top 10? Of course not. And I know Penn State's number 10, but if it's a one-possession game, Michigan-Penn State – is one of those teams falling out of the top 10? Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. Okay, so that makes my, that's my point is there's this standard almost that we just believe what we're going to see. And because it's Alabama, it doesn't matter how the football looks. I, yes. I don't know. It's just I, now that I've been able to watch more SEC football, because when I covered the Big Ten, it was pretty much strictly Big Ten. I look around and even more so now I believe in the SEC bias. And again, it's not that, sure, the SEC might be the best team, or the best conference in college football. I I I'm not gonna argue against that. Maybe they are. It's just not that much different, there especially the final the especially two or three through 14.
0: And and guys on Twitter like Mr. Ohio, Me You, uh, our boy Perk, he says the same stuff all the time. Like nobody is doubting the elite and the top of of the SEC. You can't. They've they've won too many titles but teams three through the bottom quit making them out to be the NFC East and the NFC, you know, like, it's just not that high level of football. That's all people are trying to say. And the last thing I would add about the rankings, quit saying on Twitter rankings don't matter this time of year. Yes, they do. Right. Being ranked in the top 10 all season long matters because the college football committee is going to be much more, there's going to be a higher percentage chance that they put your team in the top 10 if you've been ranked in the, the 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 season up to that point. And then the other things that matter like when somebody says first ranked win since or right. you know for, those stats are thrown out all the time during TV broadcasts so don't tell me it doesn't matter when that team that you play is ranked and you beat them if they would have never been ranked in the first place, you don't have the chance to put that skin on the wall. So quit saying the rankings don't
1: matter; they obviously Great. do. And on top of that, it, who does? You would think they would get this more than anybody. It matters to you know who to you know who those, those rankings, the recruits, yes. which is all they gauge anything on. So it does matter. I I'm not saying that I put all of my stock in the rankings, but damn it, it matters. <laughs> I mean, it just I I could not believe I could believe it. But Illinois should be a – Illinois is a top 20 football team. I'm not convinced just yet they're not top 15. We'll see in a couple weeks, but I digress.
0: Big test this weekend, but I hear what you're saying. Um, Last couple things that we'll have to move through pretty quickly, but one of the stories going around the last couple weeks is the Husker Hex, uh, which is insane. So since beating Nebraska, Northwestern is 0-5, Oklahoma is 0-3, Georgia Southern is one in three; the only team with the win. So they're a combined one and eleven. So you got to give a shout out to Greg Siano and the 3D checkers he's playing by giving up that thirteen point lead on Friday <laughs> night, which allows his football team to actually win a, a football contest moving forward. It's a huh, guys. Amazing. I got that.
1: I've, I've got that Eddie Murphy gif where he's just pointing to his <laughs> pointing to his head. <laughs>
0: All right, and then that kind of feeds into our last topic, and then we'll, we'll get into the games. But uh, maybe one of the reasons that the hex is around or, or feeding into it is that Nebraska had a coaching change, and there is a, a coaching change craziness that seems to be have taken hold of college football. I feel like there's more heat being applied across more – football programs and directing at coaches than I feel like I've ever witnessed. And I I feel like it's something palpable to talk about pretty quickly, but obviously Nebraska started off with uh, um, letting go of Scott Frost, but then Wisconsin, which probably is the most surprising one. Not if not only this year in the last five, 10 years, I don't know, Georgia tech, Colorado, mercifully, mercifully Arizona state. And the crazy thing is this, we just listed off five power five programs that have canned their, their coach. Not one of them is in the sec, which made canning your coach at the first sign of trouble. Like that's the norm. And even more crazy is Brian Harson is still the head coach at Auburn. <laughs> Everybody knows that guy's a dead man walking. I can't make sense right. of that. Um, but long story short is it, does it seem like to you DS that, even what we had thought were the untouchables, they're starting to get heat applied to them like we've never seen before.
1: And it feels to me like it's all out of nowhere. And it makes me wonder about this theory where everything in college football is kind of changing, right? Um, With NIL, with Transfer Portal, and if some of these guys just don't want to deal with it, maybe these schools and these coaches are making a deal where you're not going to get the big buyout, um, you're still going to get a pretty hefty sum of money to not do anything. You can sit on your couch, uh, and watch television for all we care for the next three years. We're going to pay you 11 million or 15 million or whatever the case might be. It's very interesting. And and the, the stat that I thought was interesting that I looked up, Nebraska's two and one, Georgia tech is two and oh, um, Wisconsin's one and oh, I know this is a different circumstance, but I think, well, I don't know about Arizona state's record. They might be a little bit worse. Um, but it, it just makes me wonder like how much effort are these guys putting in once you get to a certain point and you kind of see the writing on the wall,
0: which feeds me right into the one point that I wanted to make about that. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I think 99 out of a hundred coaches that get to that top spot, they're going to give it a run and see if they can make it work. Right. I mean, they're competitive dudes. You don't move up in the ranks of this profession unless you're a competitive dude and probably got some talent in some capacity. However, maybe there's 6 months or a year and 6 months in and they're like this bleep ain't going to happen. Like it's like what I need to get done and what the, you know or what the fans and the administration wants me to get done and what I have now learned about this position and what's possible, it ain't going to happen. Now, do they coast? Yeah. Yeah. I think they kind of coast. And and I think the general thought process is even if they are not sure that they can make it work when they take the job, dude, they're going to take it anyway because of the payday. And yeah. you can't tell me that when they get far enough in, they are waiting. They are begging to get fired. They're not going to ask to get fired because that news would spread out in the college football coaches world, like he, he walked away, you know, like, so then you're poison and you can't get hired. So they're going to, they're going to do a really good job of faking it to yeah. keep their job so that they're still employable after that. But you're trying to tell me some of these guys aren't angling to get that get can cash that four, five, eight, 10, $20 billion check. Yep. Now they can go back to being a, offensive line coach or an OC or a DC, which is really the job that they like anyways, but now they got the four or five schmill in the bank so that their wife (laughs) speaking of is happy and they've got it set. I'm convinced that is what's going on.
1: I could not agree more. And I have never said, and I will never say, I don't think a guy takes the field and and goes out there and attempts to lose but there are ways that you can coast Uh, not picking up the phone and calling recruits is one way Um, not being pleasant with the media. There are a lot of different ways um, that that you kind of hinted at that you you're able to coast. Um, I don't think coaches, I want to make it clear. I don't think neither one of us are saying they're going out and throwing games. Like I don't think any Any coaches going out there and, and not trying to lose a game. I think once they step on the sideline, that competitive spirit comes out, but also, especially on the recruiting side, if you, well, these are the guys we have. I can't get it done. Um, I'll take that. Uh, it's just like Ed Orgeron. Like, right. We're going to pay you $15 million. Okay. When you want me gone and what the hell door you want me out? <laughs> like that's gotta be, that's gotta be the angle. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And then the last thing I would say is believe it or not, folks, some people just don't want to be head coaches. It's yep. like, there's this written rule where, where people think every single coach wants to be a head coach. It is not for everybody. Some people are perfectly okay eking out their existence at $400,000 a year. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, I don't know. It just, it just like, I just see it a lot. Like he'd be crazy not to take that. Like, no, he's not crazy. Maybe he just doesn't want the stress because he's a smart person and, and realizes he just loves his job as the D line coach. I don't know. That's just something I figured I would add. All right. uh, Moving on. Last, just very last thing is just kind of injury updates. Uh, Mike Hart is out of the hospital, seems to be stable and, and doing good. Um, uh, he is not back with the team yet. And then coincidentally, darn it, I was going to write this down. Sorry for the little bit of the uh, uh, pause here. But Fred Jackson is going to be the running back coach at Michigan Uh, and I thought it was Fred Jackson, the guy that played running back in the NFL and actually played at co-college in Iowa, but no, it's Fred Jackson, the football coach running, running back football coach who apparently has been at Michigan and all over the place for like a hundred years. So, uh, sounds like they got a waiver. So he will be the interim running back coach for Michigan. Uh, uh, a Big Ten, uh, Big Ten, or eyes on big favorite running back Chelui for Wisconsin. He got injured in that Northwestern game. He is actually out for the year. So bad news there. A um, couple other injuries. I think we can talk about when we get into the games. So let's do that. Let's get into the games. We have got ten teams, five games this week. All big on big. Four teams are idle: Iowa, mercifully, Northwestern, Ohio State, and Rutgers. So how does the the schedule shape out? About as good as you could do it. I would maybe tweak it just a little bit if I was was really making the schedule myself. But we got two games early, two games in the afternoon, one game at night, which kind of allows you to look at some of those other non-Big Ten games that you like to check out. But all five of these games got some intrigue to me and DS. We're excited to talk about it. So all these games will take place this Saturday, October 15th. First one up, the four and one Minnesota Golden Gophers going on the road to take on the five and one number 24 ranked Illinois fighting Illini. This is an 11 o'clock a.m. game on Fox. Is that right? I'm not sure if that's right. Uh, line gophers by six and a half over under 39. So Vegas is saying something like 23 to 17 gophers. So, first point that I want to make, I actually made this before I even knew that you were going to go on your rant, which is 100%. The winner of this game deserves to be ranked the next day. Okay. Like that, that is, should not be without question. So I I think that's something big that they're playing for. Obviously the bigger thing that they're playing for is to not necessarily get a stranglehold on their race to get to Indianapolis, but definitely have an inside track to get there. So that's one thing both teams are playing for. This stat came out on Twitter. I just thought it was crazy, but this is from the Ill boardroom uh so this is the records versus the Big Ten West in their tenure, okay? Lovey Smith in his tenure was four and 26 versus the okay. Big Ten West. Beetle is five and three. so <laughs> he's got he's got more Big Ten West wins in eight attempts then Lovey gotten 30. If you want Ooh. another sign, that Beatles got things cooking in Champagne. Yeah. Um another fun stat that's gotten thrown around all week long. Who owns the state of Minnesota? Beetle owns the state of Minnesota. As a head coach at both Wisconsin and Illinois against Minnesota, he is 8-0. So n- no time to spend any quality time in the land of 10,000 lakes for Beetle. He just likes to get the win and get out of town so lots of fun stuff here what are you looking for here ds
1: um i wish i would have known that stat before i made my pick i'm a little i'm a little upset i did not know that beforehand that's uh and i didn't think back to it last year i'm sure it was talked about last year too so first of all uh i did see i just looked this up illinois minnesota is on btn thank you Um, thank you just found that uh the other thing, real quick, I wanted to give a shout out to Art Sitkowski last week. Um, that dude, I know this is a little bit odd because he transferred from Rutgers to Illinois, but that dude could have been on his third or fourth college by now. He's at Illinois. I think it shows the value of a backup quarterback. I'm not saying he played great, but against Iowa's defense, if you have a young guy and an experienced guy or somebody much worse than Art Sitkowski, Illinois loses that game because he would have thrown a couple picks. Um, they might not have trusted him to go to the air and they would have had to ground it out. Iowa would have been able to load the box and focus on that and maybe create some more possessions. I just think I, it didn't look pretty. I just think when he was called upon, uh, he came in and gave a, a, a game manager feel to that. And that's exactly what Illinois needed to win that game. It shows that you can win with a backup quarterback. I'm just, I was just, I don't know. I, proud is not the right word. Cause I don't <laughs> know the kid, but it was like a sense of pride. Like he stayed it out. He knows his role. Like, I gave him my personal honorary Eyes on Big MVP for the week um, just because I thought that was important. That's awesome.
0: I tried to articulate that when Kurt and I were doing the post view podcast. You did it way better than me just now than I did on Sunday. Maybe the hangoverness and disappointedness uh, kind of didn't allow me to articulate myself as, as much as I could. But if you look at the line, me thinks that the reason the line is where it's at. Uh, with Minnesota being favored by six and a half is because of uh-huh. the quarterback situation. No offense right. to to Art, but you know I don't think he's I don't think he's as deny as dynamic as as Tommy DeVito. There's obviously a reason Tommy DeVito has been the starter the whole year. His touchdown interception ratio they've obviously has been great. They've obviously won a lot of games. We don't know for sure if he's not playing, but I'm just going off of what Kurt kind of gave me, which was uh, Beetle didn't exactly give glowing. Reports on the injury front uh, uh, this week. I, I don't think Isaiah Williams is going to be able to go with a concussion. That was their number one receiver. Josh McCray is still out. So if there's anything I was ever done for Minnesota, it, it looked like it's maybe beat up Illinois a little bit going into this game. My, my fear is that there's going to be a ton of people across the country, maybe even in Big Ten land. They're going to check out Illinois for one of the first times to watch them. And this is going to be the product that they could potentially see because there's a lot of there's a lot of weapons stripped from that Illinois offense going against a really good Minnesota defense.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to to me, that was obviously the big question. Will DeVito play? Um, How healthy is Mo Ibrahim? I mean, is he it sounds like he's going to go. Does that mean he's at 100 percent? Does that mean he's at 80 percent? I will say that I think the fact that he's stuck around so long, I don't know that P.J. Fleck would send him out on the field unless he's 100%. Um, I think he just kind of respects him that much. But the, the thing that's interesting to me about this game, and, and I love the line at, at I think, 39 um, when I saw it, was uh, these two teams are the two best defensive teams scoring-wise in the Big Ten. Neither team is allowing more than nine points. The most they gave up, Illinois gave up 23 to Indiana. Minnesota gave up 20 to Purdue. And those were the two losses that they have combined in the season. So these are two really good defensive teams. I think it's fair to say that the rushing attack is the strength for both. So it may come down to quarterback play uh, because I think both of these offenses are going to be able to move the ball a little bit on the ground, but I think ultimately it's going to be whichever quarterback plays best. And that kind of feeds into your point where Tommy DeVito, if he's playing, I, I like Illinois a little bit more. If he's not, I give it the nudge to to Tanner Morgan and, and his experience. Quarterback play is one B
0: for the biggest reason. One A, which you probably agree with me, is going to be turnovers in this game. Oh, yeah. Like yes. I, I I like it just is it's tough to break down because you never really know when the turnover bug is gonna hit you or miss you. But that sure this sure seems to be a game that's won very much on in the margins with that type of stuff, like it's hard for me to picture either one of these teams having a, a gargantuan uh, um, uh, lead in the total yardage or yards per play over either one of these teams. The defenses are too good. The offenses are, are fine, but they're, but like, you you know, everybody knows they're run based. Um, so if, but quarterback play, it certainly favors Minnesota. I don't think that's without question. Both running backs are great, but with Minnesota, like who, who is like, Every time you talk to a, a Minnesota fan, something on Twitter, listen to podcasts, you know, Ryan Burns does a great job. Um, um the Gopher Gridiron podcast, um, um Luke, Luke Bird d- does a great job too. But everybody's waiting for a wide receiver to break out. You know, yeah. Daniel Jackson shows flashes, you know, Brevin Spanford forward tight end, but he's there. Like, is this finally the game? that that a wide receiver or two takes over for Minnesota. If it does, that's a huge advantage for Minnesota. I don't have confidence they will. I'm just saying, like, it's going to take an effort out of some place you're not expecting in order for there to be a lot of points manufactured in this game.
1: And I don't know if a receiver – see, I don't know if I agree with that point. I, I mean – to an extent, I do. But at the same time, to me, if, if Mohammed Ibrahim is in the game, it, it changes things because that opens up the passing attack. They're, Illinois is going to have to put such an emphasis. And I think if Illinois has to focus on Ibrahim and, and focus on the run da- game, that will open up the receivers. And I think that they've proven they can catch passes when they're open, but they're not, they're still not Tyler Johnson or Rashad Bateman. They're not even Chris Ottman Bell. So that's why. I I get it. I understand. I just don't think they have that guy on the roster that can go up and and get a 50-50 ball and get it consistently like those three guys I just named.
0: I think that is a fantastic point. Um, so I'll I'll break down my last couple one thing here and then I'll get in the prediction. But um, you know, but a way to manufacture a shot play like that is it would sure help doing it when you're coming off being an idol an idol week yep. for yep. Minnesota. I. There are some idle weeks that are put in nice spots. Then there are some idle weeks that are put in a great spot. I think this could be a great spot for Minnesota. I do think they get a touchdown or two on the board. That that screaming you just heard was from the Kingfisher and Big Dogs winners (laughs) yelling at me that do I know that Illinois has not given up a touchdown at home all year? I am aware of that. Some of the offenses that have that have come into Memorial Stadium, Wyoming, Virginia, the Moccasins, and no offense, but Iowa. Okay, so granted, the defense is great. There's a reason they haven't allowed touchdowns. Part of it is also because of the offenses that have visited the state of Illinois to, to help with that streak. I do think Minnesota gets on the board once or twice. Um, at one point, I liked Minnesota to cover quite a bit. I have backed, up on, backed off on that, so I'm going to take Minnesota 20, Illinois 13. I like the under. I, I think the under 39 is a decent play for people to make, but as you can tell by my score prediction, I got Minnesota covering, but by a half a point because that line to me is razor sharp.
1: Yeah, um, I've got Minnesota 19, Illinois 17. I also like the under. I made the under my Amador double barrel lock of the week. Nice. Okay, but you got and you got Illinois covering, though. I do got Illinois covering. Um, oh, real quick, by the way, while, we're, while I'm on this tangent, Chase Brown over uh, 800, 800 yards already, uh, four touchdowns. I'm just saying if he was wearing an SEC jersey, he'd be in the Heisman conversation.
0: I actually got hundred uh, percent. So would Mo, you know, and then there uh-huh. would be people on podcast saying, is he even an NFL guy? If Mo oh, was in an SEC uniform, everybody would know what the facts are, which is yes. he is most definitely an NFL guy. I got one more rant with that stuff when we get down to the bottom. All right. All right. Perfect. Next game up, we are skipping over one. I'm going to save that one until later in the podcast. Moving into the afternoon, the four and two Maryland Terrapins at the three and three. Indiana Hoosiers. This is a 2:30 p.m. game on ESPN. Two line Terps by an odd eleven over under 61. So Vegas is saying something like 35 to 24. What you looking at
1: here, Diaz? Well, I'm. This is going to be interesting. I know mentality was our theme last week. Um, I'm going to kind of go with that again this week for this specific game because Indiana did make the change on the offensive line. They got rid of Darren Hiller, Rod Carey, who was a former NIU head coach, former Indiana offensive lineman. Um, He's taking over. I don't think, and let me make sure I make this clear, I don't think Indiana's offensive line play is going to look drastically better with the snap of a finger and Tom Allen's decision to make a change. What What I am interested to see is, is there going to be some slight changes schematically, offensively, that maybe weren't communicated as well to Walt Bell? Um, is it going to make a difference that there's a different voice in the room Were they playing tight under Darren Hiller? And now they're playing a little bit, they're going to play a little bit looser. That's what I'm looking for on the other side. I think Maryland is going, you, you sum this up best, uh, a week or two ago that Mike Loxley has adopted this <laughs> me against the world type of mentality. I think Maryland's going to come out pissed off that they've lost two of their last three and had shots to win those games and have gotten screwed in a couple straight games. Um, So I I think they're going to come out with something to prove in this game because this is not the same Maryland team we've typically seen under locks where you get them down seven or ten points, they roll over, and they die. This team just keeps coming back. Um, They continue to fight. So I'm really interested in this. I actually think this is a worse matchup for Indiana than Michigan because Indiana's secondary is really bad, and Maryland has got playmakers at the receiver position all over the field.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, just focusing on Indiana a little bit, uh, three up, three down. All right, start three and zero, another three and three. This game is—it's essentially a bowl eliminator yeah. game for them. If they don't win this game, I'm not saying zero chance, but they're on life support to be able to make it to a bowl game. Trust me, the coaches know that. They know that a team walking away from this game four and three, as opposed to three and four, and still have some things to fight for. So they're going to come out as hungry as I think. Tommy Allen can get them. Like that yeah. played into my mentality with my breakdown of this game. And with Maryland, like I can't make up my mind, is this a a sneaky scary game for Maryland fans? Or is it just a flat out scary game for Maryland fans? I, I I don't know. Like, and I'll break it down a little bit more when we get into the last game, but like Indiana did show me some stuff in that Michigan yes. game. Okay. You don't go into the fourth quarter with challenging Michigan. Just by the other team playing flat. Okay. There is other things happening. So there, there were things and I, I saw available plays in the passing game, just a little bit about out of sync, you know, wide receivers may be coming back. You know, I just, I didn't walk away from that game very as low on Indiana as I had been. I I saw some improvement. Um, And then so, but with that being said, you kind of already hit on it. Um, I think Maryland's pissed. I think locks, I think locks is, is just to the point where he's like, I'm bleeping tired of this. I want to put a 50 burger on the board. Like yes. he wants to see some, Like I could just feel it coming out of his
1: pores, man. No, I, I think the same thing. And this, this is what played into to what I was thinking about too. Like you hit on a great point. Like Indiana showed me a lot more than I expected. I think I had them losing 53 to 10 to Michigan because I just didn't think that they had the players on either side of the ball to compete. Um, But they fought and they had 17 to 10 in the fourth quarter with the ball, a chance to tie the game. Um, I just, I think when I watch that, when I look at this matchup, I don't like the fact that Maryland can throw the ball all over the field. And by the way, once they get that in rhythm, they can run the ball pretty effectively too. They've got a really good one two punch. I've liked that all season long. Their defense is playing better. And to your point of a 50 point game for Maryland, I will not be surprised if within the first three plays, Locke says, let it fling, and Talia goes 50 yards down the field to Rakeem Jarrett to try to get a 7 nothing lead and just put the pressure on. And, and I've said this on probably every podcast we've done, every podcast and radio show I've done, is that if Loxley thinks he can put 60 points on you, he will put 60 points on you. Go for it. So, in this game, I have Maryland 31, Indiana 21. So, that's a slight Indiana cover, and that's way under that
0: 61.5. Kind of close, but I'm a notch above in the scoring department. I got Maryland 40, Indiana 30. So, at 70 points, that's nine points over the game total. And Indiana just covering. Nothing scares a prognosticator or a gambler more than that 11 point yes. spread. That is, that thing is nasty. I I would rather it be 14. And I know that doesn't make any sense to normal people, <laughs> but to degenerates, man, that 11 just scares me. It's there for a reason. So that's what I'm taking. All right. Sticking in the afternoon, a little bit later. They did it again, Dustin, another half hour later kickoff. Love it when they do that. The three and three Wisconsin Badgers traveling in to the woodshed to take on the two and four Michigan state Spartans this is a three o'clock PM game Fox line badgers by seven and a half over under 49.5. So Vegas is saying something like 28 to 21 badgers. What you looking for?
1: They're going to have to rename the woodshed to like the kindling spot or something. If they don't start playing better, because my God, it's not been, this has not been pretty. Um, I think we saw what we wanted to see out of Wisconsin in terms of that mentality we talked about last week where they just pummeled and were relentless against Northwestern. Having said that, I'm not sure how much we actually learned about Wisconsin last week on the field in terms of the X's and O's because I think Northwestern is just that bad. Um, it, it, like I think their levels of Vanderbilt bad, but they got it off week, so we'll, we'll take it easy on them. Um, and the other thing that's interesting to me is this could potentially be the way Michigan state's secondary is playing their pass defense. Look, the the first two games, Michigan state had 12 sacks. They've gotten two in their last four games. They are not getting pressure on the quarterback at all. This could potentially be the best two game stretch Graham Mertz has had in his career at Wisconsin. Um, he played really well against Northwestern. I think he can tear up this, this Michigan state secondary too. Um, I'm focusing on Wisconsin here that, that, che louis injury i've always wanted to say that i finally got to say it on the podcast (laughs) that che louis injury is unfortunate i don't know how much that hampers them especially in this game um i think with the run pass though i think there's just too many weapons for wisconsin the one thing i do have a a kind of a question on for this game would be does somebody else step up at wide receiver or is it going to be the chim dk show again Uh, i think they need to try to spread it around a little bit more but if that's your guy and you can get him open Go for it, man. They've had trouble in the passing game as is. So if you gotta, if it's gotta be a one-trick pony in the passing attack, I mean, ride right until he wears out. So the one thing I would say is I think
0: both defensive coordinators, their goal is to take the number one receiver out of this game on both sides. Chimere DK, that's who uh um um obviously the weapon is for for Wisconsin. L- looking at Michigan State, here here's my question for Michigan State. So the Washington blowout was like a shocker they flew out west they didn't know what happened right and then they're kind of still licking their wounds and then minnesota i think kind of surprises them again okay after those two you know shocking big losses i think that's when they started internalizing and saying holy cow we gotta buckle down here okay unfortunately one of their next games was versus ohio state which is not the team you ever want to see in that situation. They did look better versus Maryland, okay? So here's my question is, have they internalized this enough? Now they're playing at home. Have they been able to settle themselves down and say, we have got to salvage this season and it needs to happen now versus a beatable team at home? Kind of back to your mentality thing of last week. That is what, to me, is the biggest thing about Michigan state. Like, don't get me wrong. X's and O's personal, all that stuff always matters. But if your mind ain't right, you can't compete. And and I, I just wonder if Michigan state has been able to get there Um, with go ahead.
1: No, I was just, I was going to say, I, I want to agree with you, but they just have so many glaring issues. Like I, I have all, I can, I'll just touch on this real quick. Their rushing attack is not there. We saw some signs of it early, but it's not there. And if you've got to depend on Peyton Thorne to move the ball consistently, he's not going to do it. You can't. You he cannot carry the weight of the offense. He's proven that through the first six games of this season. It's not that. He, and I I don't think you're saying this. It's not that he's a bad quarterback. No, he no, just no. Has to do, he just has to do too much right now. Yes, correct. Yes. Yep.
0: Looking at Wisconsin. Okay. When I watched the game live, and then I rewatched it, I thought I saw what I saw, and then I got on Wisconsin you know, information sites and whatever. And sure enough, there it was. They confirmed tweaks on the offense that Northwestern did not expect and then can't do anything about because they're just not a very good team. It looked different, DS. And my prediction for this game is sort of relying on the fact that it is a little bit different. Chewy being out of the game doesn't hurt so much unless, of course, Agent Zero goes down, I mean, your depth at running back suddenly would be in dire straits for Wisconsin. But, you know, assuming Braylon Allen is healthy for the game, I think they can do a lot of the same stuff that they did. I do think Graham Mertz just looked more confident. And, and yeah. I think they were letting playmakers be playmakers, which is uh, what 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 Jim Leonard had said during the week. That's what I think we're going to see. It's not going to look like it did versus Northwestern but I also don't think that it's outlandish to say the style of offense and what we get out of Wisconsin versus Michigan state. Isn't somewhat similar to how it looked versus Northwestern.
1: And you know what, what one thing you you like to say on this pod too, is sometimes the fans are right. Um, and sometimes the critics are also right. One of the things I, I want to point out with Michigan state is we headed into the season and there were a lot of questions and a lot of, talk about the offensive line the running backs and the defensive backs and a lot of michigan state fans weren't happy about that they got tired of it but sometimes there's a reason we talk about that stuff and none of those three position groups are playing well right now i would venture to say the defensive line is not even very good right now because like i said jacoby winman had five and a half sacks was leading the big 10 through the first two two weeks he hadn't gotten one in the last four games Um, by the way i'm just yeah
0: by the way another thing The total sacks on the season for Wisconsin, 10. They've got 10 sacks in six games. That is is not (laughs) Wisconsin-like. That is is not Wisconsin-like. So neither one of these teams are doing a good job of getting to the quarterback. With that being said, this is what I just look at here. I'm like, okay, the Badgers are favored by seven and a half. We know that the defense is struggling – for Michigan State. Okay, so we get some points on the board for Wisconsin, but Wisconsin's defense is still good. So, if the over under is that high, pushing 50, but we expect Wisconsin's defense to play well. I don't know, man. That is Vegas speaking to me to say that they believe there will be points on the board, sure. but they're going to be scored by one team and I believe that team is going to be coming from Cheeseland and they're going to go back home with the win. I have got Wisconsin 30, Michigan State 13. So I got this going under, but I've got Wisconsin easily covering the seven and a half, and that's my Amador double barrel
1: lock of the week. I have got Wisconsin 33, Michigan State 17. That's also a Wisconsin cover. And at one at 50, that's a one point over. Wow. Okay. That's some exciting stuff.
0: The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel agent technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produce one-of-a-kind whiskeys. Amador is made to be sipped neat or is perfect in classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your favorite go-to Big Ten football podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag Ask for Amador. And check out our new website and finder options so you can see where to find Amador near you at www.amador.com amadorwhiskeyco.com. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California. Two more games left, moving into the evening. Sneaky good. It's not even sneaky good. This is just fun. This is just going to yeah. be fun. The three and three Nebraska Cornhuskers at the four and two Purdue Boilermakers. This is a six thirty p.m. game on Big Ten Network. Line Boilers by fourteen over under 57, so Vegas is saying something like a 35 to 23, Boilermakers win. Basically, Dustin, here's how I view this game. Two 20-year-olds sitting across the table doing shots. Which one gets drunk fastest <laughs> and starts doing stupid shit? <laughs> I don't know.
1: That's the best comparison uh, for this game. I love it um, because I think yes, I think Purdue's going to have some fun with this game. It's a night game at Ross Aid Stadium, and then Nebraska's still got that nothing to lose mentality. They're playing, uh, they're playing free. They're playing loose. I didn't believe you mentioned this against after the Indiana game. Nebraska's found something defensively. They're playing a little bit better. I didn't buy it because it was Indiana, but now after seeing it in consecutive weeks, I think you were onto something. I'm starting to buy it a little bit. Having said that. They have not faced an offense like Purdue since they played an Oklahoma team that has gone completely off the rails. Um, I am really interested to see what type of – what kind of presence this defense can have in a – by the way, is Nebraska and the Denver Broncos have some sort of agreement where they only play in prime time this year? Like it yeah. feels like those <laughs> feels like every Nebraska game has been a night game, every Denver Broncos game has been Sunday night or Monday night football. Right. Um but anyway, I, I'm just it's gonna be interesting to see how they how they look against a high-powered Purdue offense that can one beat you through the air, and now they've got a bit of a rushing attack. Um this is this is a really I think. Two or three weeks ago, we would have looked at this game and thought Purdue, blowout win, no problem. Uh, now it's got a little bit of intrigue. I think this could be a four-quarter game. Absolutely. And by the way, I'd like to do a correction when I said the kids
0: sitting across the table getting drunk it would be the first one who's doing some crazy stuff. I, I said stupid. That was a little aggressive. But the point being is, is when I look at the line, at first, I'm like, oh, okay, a little bit higher than I thought it would be with Purdue favored by oh. fourteen. Then my thought was starting to picture the two teams matching up. Okay, that's how they got to Purdue being favored by 14. There are simply more things that Purdue does better than Nebraska, right? Yeah. Then I thought another layer deep. Like, okay, you know, just what ifs. But Nebraska could have beaten Georgia Southern, you know, like they gave that lead up late in the game. Let's just say they beat Georgia Southern you'd have two, four and two teams. you know, yep. play. Now I know maybe Scott Frost doesn't lose his job. There's a million different string theories we could go down. I'm just having fun with it. I guess what I'm, my point is I'm trying to say is like, is there really big of that big a difference between three and three and four and two? It feels like it because of the three losses that Nebraska had. Northwestern's a horrible loss. Georgia Southern's a horrible loss. Oklahoma is now a horrible yep. loss. Whereas where Purdue's losses are a very close one uh versus a very good Penn State team and on the road to a good Syracuse team. That's where the four and two feels so much different than the three and three. But when exactly has Purdue put anybody away, you know. I mean, other than whoever the Sisters of the Poor team was they played, I can't remember off the top of my head, week two. I mean, they they have not been able to put anybody away. And they played a pretty tough schedule. That's that is certainly part of it. Right. Uh, But I just don't trust Purdue yet to do things correctly all game long. Like, I trust their rushing attack, but not all the time. I trust their passing attack, but not all the time. Then both of them were working, but then penalties take them back. Like, it is just an enigma wrapped in a riddle all the time with them, which is what makes this game so darn fun. Um, And then speaking with Nebraska, I mean, you already kind of touched on it. Um, they they are battling some injuries too. They are getting really thin at wide receiver and running back. One injury to to call out here is Luke Reimer, who is I, I think by far their best defender on defense. He is iffy at best to play in this game. I, that that plays into it. um the 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 defense has looked better, but it's gotten Indiana at home and Rutgers, okay. So Indiana's up and down offensively. Not a good offensive line. Rutgers just a struggling overall. This is a whole other beast that they're playing on the road in what should be a pretty intense environment, I I, I believe, in West Lafayette on Saturday night. I mean, this is a whole scenario that Nebraska really has has not walked into yet this year.
1: No. And, and I think that that's a great point because this is a Purdue team that thinks it can win the big 10 West. Um, and even though they've lost two games, they played really well. I mean, their two losses. are two teams that are a combined, what 10 and 0, 11 and 0, whatever those, whatever the record is. But last week, Purdue did some things. They were finally able to get some receivers involved. They got TJ Sheffield going. They, you know, they've gotten Tyrone Tracy, Mershawn Rice. He was, uh, Aiden O'Connell was able to find a few times. So, I'm a little bit more optimistic that they might be able to catch Nebraska off guard where they can't just game plan for Charlie Jones. Now they're going to have to game plan for some of those other receivers um, because they, they, they showed up against Maryland. Aiden O'Connell was able to distribute the ball. Um, and then, again, that running attack, which isn't great, but it's, they're averaging 118, 119 yards per game. That's the first time they've averaged over 100 yards since 2018. Uh, so it's been a while. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna say
0: like pre Daryl Hazel, like it, it could have, it it seems like it's been a while.
1: It could have been, yeah. I would, I would have until I looked it up. I would have believed pre Daryl Hazel would have been accurate on that. Um, I just think with the rushing attack, with their defense, um, and the way actually Nebraska has played in the first half of these games, they've actually been able to create some momentum there in the second half. I just think Purdue has too many weapons and this is gonna be an awfully big stage for I and the fact that Purdue can now run the football a little bit, I do think that Purdue's gonna be able to pull away and actually I think it's still gonna be a good game for three and a half quarters, but I think Purdue's actually gonna be able to put a team away this week.
0: Okay. Um it was just the last couple of things, but um I I think maybe I trust Nebraska's defense more than their offense. i'm I'm still mm-hmm. trying to figure out what Nebraska's identity is on on offense post Frost. Like there was mixtures of Frost's rushing attack, and then Whipple would throw a, a pass in here, you know here, there. Now it seems like it's all Whipple, which I guess maybe that's the identity is he's gonna he's gonna shove the passing game down everybody's throats. Whether they want it or not. And that means Nebraska fans and the players and and you know everybody, and then try to mix in the rushing attack. I just it looked disjointed for for me on Friday night versus Rutgers, who is a good defense. Don't get me wrong. Like that that's part of the reason. Um, so with that being said, um I I, I just got to this point where I'm like, I I just don't think Purdue will put them away. Or, or a, or a different way of saying it is Nebraska sure. will fight enough to hang around. So the fourteen points does kind of scare me. So I've got Purdue thirty, Nebraska twenty-one, and at, so that's a Nebraska cover at fifty-one points. That is the under. I really like the under in this game. This is a, a another one that I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on, sh- shall we say? Because the other option that I think could happen is what you might be predicting here in a little bit I think there's a chance Purdue could also just run away f- with this finally in a game and this could wind up being like a 38 to 10 38 to 13 type of game I could see that as well which in both cases that is also an under
1: so to to go back to your initial analogy here where you got 20 year olds taking shots usually what happens is one guy passes out and the other guy takes one more victory shot, right? Like that's, he, he emphasizes his win. So I think that's actually what's going to happen. Like I said, I think this is a good game for three quarters. I have Purdue 38, Nebraska 21. So that's a Purdue cover and an over.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. So we kind of see the same thing, but just a couple more points on on the board is what you're, okay. All right. All right, that brings us to our last game. We got poll results here. Eight hundred and forty-five people voted, getting a firm fifty-three percent of the vote. The Big Ten game of the week was kind of a no-brainer. The five and O number ten ranked Penn State Nittany Lions at the excuse yeah six and O excuse me number ten ranked Penn State Nittany Lions at the six and O number five ranked Michigan Wolverines. This is a eleven o'clock a.m. game, aka the Big Noon on Fox. Line Michigan by seven. Over under 51.5. So Vegas is saying somewhere in the roundabout a 30 to 23 Wolverines. So DS, I, I told you I had a couple stats for this uh, game before we got going. Um, I am not a big trends guy. Okay. Trends are huge for gamblers. I think trends are overrated. Unless you have continuity between coaches and staffs. Then I believe trends can matter. So I do think trends play a little bit, even though there's obviously been some shakeups on, on both staffs for coordinators. I understand that, but you still have the same head coaches. So first of all, in the last 10 contests, these teams are five and five against each other. So that's about as close as you can get Yeah, four games have been decided by one score or less of the six games that were 10 points or more. Uh, three of them were, were, or five of them were blowouts with three going Michigan's way and two going Penn state's way. The other one was just a closer blowout, if you will. So long story short, that's about as close as you can get the totals in those 10 games. Okay. For the total points scored by each team averages out to, or the totals are 280 points to 244 for Penn state. So it works out to be a 28 to 24 game. And if I picture a Michigan Penn state game in my head, I don't know why 28 to 24 (laughs) sounds about perfect. Like that, that to me looks like, you know, what it should be. And then the next line I have here in red, this isn't a stat. This is a question, but this leads back up to your rant all the way at the top of the podcast, but will either one of these teams get respect with the result of this game? Because what's interesting is if it's a great game, but one team pulls it out, would that actually be better than if one team blew out the other? Because then the the narrative is just going to be the other team stinks. Okay, so you would agree the best scenario for both teams is a great game that obviously the victor goes the spoils.
1: Yes. The one caveat I would say to that is I think it would be worse for Penn State because they've fallen on harder time. Like I think if Penn State goes in there and wins by, let's say, 14 or more, I think people say, "Wow, Penn State's cooking this year." Um, If Michigan wins by 14 or more, they're going to say, "Ah, typical James Franklin can't win the big one, gets blown out." They're going to go six and six or seven and five and end up in the in the um, in in the the Outback Bowl or something. That's what. So
0: that's actually a great point. (laughs) And one thing I would add is the internal struggle right now for Penn State fans is that which is Uh we started six and zero last year lost a big game, things kind of caved in at, at after right. that. Now, what I would say is a big chunk of that was injuries. Okay? So obviously there the 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 air got sucked out of the right. program a little bit after it and it does for any team after they lose a game like that. It got compounded by a, a a a whole bunch of injuries for Penn State. So one would hope they wouldn't have that. The other internal struggle for struggle for Penn State fans is Sean Clifford. Um there are Ardent Sean, Sean Clifford supporters within the Penn State fan base. Then there are some that aren't. There are a lot of fun things to look at, but looking at the quarterbacks, is there more pressure on Sean Clifford than there is the freshman JJ or sophomore, young kid, whatever JJ McCarthy. I don't know where I, I, that is one of the fun little storylines for me in this game.
1: That's a great – before I forget, it, it is a great storyline. Before I forget, this is a great – for whatever reason, I have no stats or trends to back this up. It feels like a good tight end game. It feels like a tight end always makes a couple plays. I don't know why that is. I have no facts or, or I didn't do much digging. I know Eric all had the big touchdown uh, last year. I think Pat Friermuth had a big touchdown or two uh, in 2019. just feels like it. Nice. Um, ba- back to your point about I think this is going to – maybe this sounds weird. For the fans, I think from the fans' perspective, there's more pressure on Sean Clifford than there is on JJ McCarthy. I'm curious from the players' perspective. I think Sean Clifford knows that's his job for the year. There's still Cade McNamara um, on the. So if JJ McCarthy doesn't play well, and then you factor in that he hasn't also been on this stage, he's played some Big Ten games. Indiana on the road is not. It, you're going – I mean, you played in front of a Big Ten crowd. You played a couple Big Ten games, but not – I mean, Penn State's defense is going to attack him. They've got – they're averaging like 12 pass breakups per game, just in a phenomenal number. Like, I, I understand what you're saying from, the, from the, the psyche, but I think from the fans' perspective, there's more pressure on Sean Clifford because he's been there longer. He's the one that hasn't gotten over the hump. I I don't know it's an interesting question because I think with JJ McCarthy there's some there's still some question that maybe Michigan could change it up maybe he could still lose the job.
0: Yeah, see that that is what's interesting to me is I have seen Sean Clifford apparently more than Penn State fans dial it up and look good. It doesn't yeah. happen every single, you know, play of every game, but there are times where I feel like you get laser focused Sean Clifford and all of a sudden he is ready to go. I feel like we're going to get that Sean Clifford yes. on 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 Saturday. That that is just a gut feel type of thing. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if that that's going to be huge. Then kind of switching over to JJ, but then going to Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz, he, he doesn't sit back. He he no. likes to attack quarterbacks. He sees a young quarterback on the other side. That to me seems like it's going to be the game plan for Manny Diaz and then shout out to my guy Jordan Eggleston who maybe I don't know was looking a layer deep and already knew where a lot of people were looking at this game J.J. McCarthy versus the blitz this is the stat he gave me in his nine touchdowns thrown six of them have come when he's been blitzed and a lot of that comes from him to me from what I can see stepping up into the pocket away from the pressure and then and then dialing it up I think J.J. McCarthy, from what I've seen, his two strengths are getting outside the pocket and either running or throwing or staying in the pocket and bombing down the field. So that is what is so intriguing to me because I really maybe think one of the better ways to do it versus J.J. McCarthy is to sit back and see if he can pick your defense apart. Iowa kind of had some success doing it, but I I think Penn State can put more pressure on the other side of the ball so that you, you feel more pressure to make a play when you're down yeah. seven to three. It's, it's harder to make plays when you're down seven to three than when you're not really worried about the other team right. scoring on a touchdown. So like, oh man, that is the part of the game that I absolutely can't wait to watch.
1: I feel like this is going to build upon that thought too. Um, I don't think, look, uh, Jay, uh, Blake Corum rushed for, I think, 124 yards last week against Indiana he also had 50 of those yards on one play. So he was held to 74 yards on 24 carries, which is about as good as anybody's done on Blake Corm this season. I think Penn state can shut him down. Now he might still have that one explosive play, but does that factor in where JJ McCarthy into his head, where he's saying, I can't just run the ball. I just can't hand it off to Blake Corm and expect something to happen. I'm going to have to make a play. That's going to be a huge difference. I think in this game too, uh, because I think Penn State's going to shut it down. And again, Penn State, I, we've mentioned this, Kurt's mentioned this, you've mentioned this, they are feast or famine when it comes to those pass breakups. They're going to play aggressive. So Manny Diaz might say, you know what? We're going to we're going to try to get picks. We're going to try to get pass breakups. We're not screw this soft coverage. We're going to try to make plays get in his head. We're going to take him out of a rhythm. Like, I know that there's going to be a lot of questions about Penn State's offense and Michigan's defense, but. To me, this game is Penn State's defense and Michigan's offense.
0: I love it. Absolutely. I mean, both sides intrigue me. Don't get me wrong, but that is the side that intrigues me the most. By the way, you say many Diaz. I say many Diaz. So I guess tomato, tomato on that. We'll just kind of keep going with that, <laughs> however, however that goes. And then the last thing I would add is they have, I think, I think, obviously have been hiding J.J.'s legs. Probably mm-hmm. one part to hide JJ's legs, another part to keep JJ on the field because I think they're really nervous about what would happen if if he went down. Is this a game where they throw caution to the wind and they have more called you know plays for for the quarterback, more zone reads where he has the green light to keep it? That is very intriguing, and then just a little bit more, you know, flipping it around. Okay, I think there are available yards against Michigan's defense. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you agree. Um, Yes, I I, there were more available yards and points in that Indiana game. I'm going to make people laugh out loud, but there were in the Iowa Michigan game as well. But Spencer Petras can't hit the broad side of a barn. That's why you didn't see him happen. Sean Clifford is a pretty darn good quarterback, especially if we get dialed in, Sean. Watch for double moves. Okay, that is what I'm saying right now. The secondary. I, I think it gets weaker in the Michigan defense the further you get away from the ball. The, they're all pretty good, but the D-line's better than the linebacker is better than the secondary. And the secondary is, it's borderline to me, okay? Um, yeah. I So then the question is, can Parker Washington and the Penn State wide receivers who do not have great stats, don't have a ton of great film this year, can Sean Clifford and those wide receivers come alive? I believe they need to get aggressive versus this Michigan secondary to put points on the board. And I think you will see that.
1: I think I had that written down too. I wrote, uh, uh, something down along the lines of, and I can't find it right now, but th- their need, their receivers need to step up. And I actually think, I'm, I know I made this comment jokingly. I actually think, Maybe I disagree with you a little bit on the receivers. I think Brenton Strange could be a big part in this game. I think he could he could play a huge factor. I just feel like he's a security blanket for Sean Clifford, and if you can get him 8 to 10 yards, because I think what Michigan's going to do is say, let them nickel and dime us. We're not going to give up the big play. I think that if he can get that 7 to 10-yard range, I think that Penn, that'll open up some things – for Penn state's offense. And what I'm really curious to see is we've talked about Penn state's rushing offense has looked better. The offensive line has looked better, but we're about to find out how good they are because they've not played a front nearly as good. Michigan's front is incredible. Um, so I'm re- we'll find out just how good Nick Singleton is, how ready he is for this big time moment. We're going to see the changes in the offensive line. Um, that's, that's the part of this that intrigues me, but I really think, you might see Penn State take some shots. I do think Brenton Strange is going to be a huge factor in this game. I don't know why. It's just one of those, like, my bat signal was going off or something like that. Like, I just think he's he's been underutilized. He's been really good in the red zone. Four touchdowns this season. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's going to be one of those type of games.
0: I do not disagree at all with, with the tight ends getting used for for Penn State. The middle of the field is, yep. is a great place. You know to attack Michigan. I just meant more double moves, big plays out of the sure. outside is where I think the big you know chunk the uh uh chunk plays chunk can happen plays. for okay. him. Um, um and then uh, uh another thing is uh by the way Blake Corum uh might be the best running back in the country. Uh there there was, there was a podcast I was listening to that said you know Blake Corum has been solid. That's what I heard. And I'm like solid. Okay, I I think he's been a little bit. More than solid. This <laughs> wow. same podcast, which might be more Tennessee-based, also they were chastising Penn State for their performance versus Northwestern. Apparently, completely oblivious that they played essentially that game underwater because the, right. the, the it was raining so bad. But, anyways, I digress. So, there's ton of ton of fun stuff in this game. And, and one thing I would I would disagree with what you had just said, where you said you don't know if Penn State has gone against a front quite like this I disagree I think there's a lot of similarities between Michigan's defense and Purdue's defense and Penn State did okay running the ball versus Purdue but it's been their lowest rushing output of the season part of that is because it was Purdue's defense the other part of it is because it was the first game of the year I don't think there's any doubt That both the super frosh running back have gotten their legs and a better understanding of the offense underneath them. So it is better. I expect the Penn State rushing attack to be fine. It will it will not be a overall deterrent. I think they will limit the chunk plays in the rushing attack. So if they if it now that doesn't mean Nick Singleton can't bust out one forty or fifty yard run. I could see it. I just don't think it will happen consistently. So
1: here, here's one last thing that I'll say about this. Um, Sean Clifford, whether it's RPO, whatever it is, he cannot run the ball 15 times this game. He cannot take a lot of shots. I think that could be a big factor in this game too. He needs to slide. He needs to pick his spots. He cannot take a – because they, they <laughs> they'll hit you hard, uh, and that could affect some of his decision-making later in the game. So I, I don't – I know that's a big part of their offense, just, I would not, if I'm a Penn state fan, I don't want to see him carry the ball too much in this game. Actually a, another phenomenal point, but yet. If Sean Clifford
0: feels that Sean Clifford needs to carry the ball 50 right. times in this game, he will. he will do it. And he will, he won't take a lot of slides. He he will right. go get that first down because that's just kind of, I think he's got that tough SOB mentality. Go ahead. You go, you you go first for the prediction.
1: Um. So another factor that weighed into this was I liked that Penn State had an idle week before playing this game. So I actually have Penn State with the upset. I have Penn State 24, Michigan 20. So that's a Penn State cover upset win and an over. Wow. You kind of surprised me there, Uh, but not surprising
0: pick. I just want to say that Um, for some reason, I thought you would pick Michigan, but, and by the way, I've gone back and forth on this one a little bit, but as I kind of, I just started honing in overall. There's a few things I trust more out of Michigan. They are at home, but boy, we got that idle week. And it just seems like this is going to be a great game. I, I will be yeah. very much disappointed if this isn't deep into the fourth quarter and it, and the winner is still undecided. I, I need it. I want that to happen for this early kickoff. I think we will get it. I have got Michigan 30, Penn State, 27 so that is a penn state cover and at 57 points that is a t- almost a touchdown over the game total yeah i
1: like it i Can like it, it. The, the one thing i don't like uh are they have they confirmed are they going all maze for this game i would God, i hope that. not in, I hope in this not. in this classic uniform game yes. we need classic uniforms that's the oh, one last point I wanted to make.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you made that after I could get through the excited breakdown because just you saying that bummed me out. So I really hope that's not the case.
1: I, I hope need, so too. I
0: need predominantly blue with yes. the winged helmet. Like just give me a predominantly blue upper with the winged helmet. I could make the rest work.
1: Yes. I am I'm, I'm a fan of the blue britches. We can make that work. Uh, but for the most part, the 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 helmet and the jersey needs to be needs to be made. It needs to be blue. Not yeah. this all maze out. I'm not a fan of it.
0: Yep. And then the last thing, this isn't a, a full topic, but what I predict this was a, this was a, a quick conversation that Perk and I had offline, but there sure seems to be a situation where 11 o'clock games don't score quite as many points as afternoon games and afternoon games don't score quite as many points as night games. Somebody out there do a study. And see if there's any truth to that, because like if this game, my 30 to 27 prediction, I feel good about it as the big noon. I would feel great about it if it was a night game. Wouldn't it just doesn't it just feel like there's more points are going to get scored when it's a night game. I don't know the science and psychology behind it, but I swear to God, it's true.
1: Yeah, I would love to know the science on that. That would be yeah. somebody do that for the next pod. That would be
0: yeah, somebody do that work for us. All <laughs> right, I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm not Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes of Big Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.